Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. No, well, it's a great question, and it goes to this thing that we've said uh, is happening in multiple layers around the New Covenant. So, you know, this is not the same thing, this is different, but just to remind you, one example I gave of these kinds of reversals is, who was Christ subordinate to when He was on earth? And He was controlled in His body in the same way we are. He was the, the model of the Christian life. His humanity, because he's fully human, right? We can never forget that. Like a lot of times we can think of Jesus and be like, oh, of course he's perfect. He was God. No, 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 no. He didn't tap into his divinity in order to maintain a sinless life. We've read through many scriptures about this in the last couple weeks. He was the most perfect submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit that will ever be amongst humans. So he submitted to the Holy Spirit But then, flip it over, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit's goal is to point people to Christ, to bring people to Christ, to serve Christ, right? And the Holy Spirit indwells the bride to the groom. So it kind of flips over, right? I actually like the way the King James Version renders this, because Mm. what happens here is we become joint heirs. Mm Mm-hmm. We're grafted into the family. Mm-hmm. And the King James, instead of down payment, the down payment makes more sense to us nowadays, but which is the earnest of our inheritance. Mm-hmm. Down payment used to be called earnest money. Right. It was meant to show that you were earnest about what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're putting some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're putting money down on this house. You're serious about getting a house. Mm-hmm. And that's, so God is, inherit, is bringing us into the inheritance, and he's giving us a little bit of our inheritance. Is that our blessed? Is that our blessed assurance? Yeah, he's given us a little bit of our inheritance right now. It's the correct. We get to prove that you are now. We get to what a foretaste of glory divine it says in the hymn. If you want to keep going there, right? Well, that previous scripture about the spirit groaning for redemption of our bodies—that's the resurrection. That's the that's the resurrected body that Jesus had. Mm -hmm. We groan and wait for that day. When we were resurrected. Well, Sheila, I groan all the time. I mean, this is this scripture is being fulfilled in our house. That that all kind of lines up with we were purchased with the whole analogy of how we were purchased through Christ's blood, right? Mm -hmm. And the Spirit is the down payment, Mm -hmm. and then the culmination of that purchase, you know, moving date, if you will, Mm -hmm. is going to glory. Mm -hmm. Huh. Also, he shared um, Romans eight twenty five. I wrote down eagerly wait. It says eagerly waiting there, but also I guess in eight twenty five it says eagerly waiting with patience. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't get that. Eagerly mm-hmm. waiting with patience. I just don't. No comment. You can be eager for the cake that's in the oven. You have to wait for it to finish cooking. I know. 
Or you just break in, just start slopping it up, you know. as a footnote to talking about first fruits it's acknowledging the fact that all the products of the land came from God and they were demonstrating thankfulness for his goodness they brought the, the portion of the first things that ripened Correct. so it's not that the whole harvest was happening all at once this is the first mm -hmm. things that came in mm -hmm. and they were instead of taking them for themselves they were offering that to God mm -hmm. recognizing that that was his pledge to them that there would be a coming harvest mm -hmm. finish yep and yep. as a farmer they do the same thing that's good my kids are waiting on a blackberry bush they can see the little green mm. berries mm. and i'm like don't eat that it's not good wait till they turn mm. they turn pink no no not yet <laughs> i know that feeling when i was a kid we lived in this town in east texas little town and there was this place like off in the woods and it was like the land of Canaan. I'm telling you, it was just like massive density of wild blackberry bushes. And we kids knew where this place was and we would take our BMX bikes and we would ride all in deep into there to where this thing was and we would come back and our faces would just be blue, our hands would be blue. Yeah, it was great. But we would go in there every now and then, look, uh, not quite ready yet, not quite ready. I'm sorry, it was kind of a joke. Is that, did that lead to the creation of the Smurfs? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That's why, you know, we give the, some of the disciples a hard time, but they were disciples but not believers yet. They were not sealed with the Holy Spirit until Pentecost. They didn't have the ability to resist the devil, to do the things that God's called us to do. Yep. So, thank goodness we have the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, when Jesus said, uh, don't touch me because I have not yet gone to my Father and become glorified, I would like a working definition of the word glory. Okay. Well, that's going to be a 10-week expose we're going to do right at the end <laughs> of pneumatology. Sorry. No, no, no. You know, it, um, this isn't an answer to that question, but it goes to something that um, Sly asked a minute ago, which is, um, or referred to, which is, you know, there's a, a concept in theology called sanctification, right? And the sanctification is moving towards Christ's likeness, right? Um, there's a, no, a notion in the ancient church called theosis, and the and Theosis was becoming like God. There was never, a, no one ever thought that you could, we could become God. It wasn't like a, a Mormon type idea. That wasn't what they meant. What they meant was in all of the communicable attributes of God, which this goes back to our study of, of theology proper, but just to recap, God has attributes that fit into two categories. He has incommunicable attributes, things that only he can be. He can, only he can be eternal. Only he can be omniscient. Only he can be omnipotent, those sorts of things. He has the incommunicable attributes. But he also has communicable attributes, just, mercy, righteous, holy, you know, etc. Well, there is a process we go through and can go through where we become 
like him in all of the communicable attributes. And actually, we will never fully finish that process. Even in heaven, he will continue to reveal more of himself. God is so infinite that when we're there to take the line from the hymn, 10,000 years, we will still be getting more revealed to us about how amazing God is. And we will still be going, you know, growing into that theosis. And so the Holy Spirit is the down payment which enables us to begin and continue through that process up to the point that we part this life. So, so glory, glory has lots of meanings, but the idea of, of utter glorification is the, the complete reaching of that theosis um, pinnacle, if you will. So Christ, when Christ is raised, he receives his glorified body. That's why it says in Scripture that we will, we will be as he is. We will receive a glorified body as well. endeavoring to do, as it says in Ephesians 4.1, is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. And if you follow through that line of thought, it is that we are to be holy as He is holy. Peter says this as well in 1 Peter, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And, you know, I've mentioned this before, this is a slightly controversial of theological opinion, so just FYI, don't tell all your friends that I said this, maybe, but... <laughs> Um, you know, there's this idea of, well, I'm only human after all. I'm broken. And I think that that is not a biblical concept. I think that Scripture makes it clear. I mean, you read 1 John, be without sin. He just says it. Be without sin. He doesn't say, you probably can't be without sin, but try really hard. That's not in Scripture. So there's this idea that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are freed, as it says in Romans, from the bondage of sin and death. We are not slaves to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. So where in our pre-regenerated uh, state, when we are not born again, we are slaves to sin. When the, when the master tells the slave what to do, the slave obeys. So sin says jump, and we say how high. But then through the power of the resurrected Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us at the moment that we uh, receive Christ or trust in Christ, now we, that bondage, those chains are loosed. Okay? So I saw, um, I saw a super deep philosophical film um, this past weekend. It's called um, Kong versus Godzilla. I don't know if y'all... I've seen this film, and I'm not going to ruin any, there's, this is no spoilers, but Kong is at one point has chains on him, and he really is not happy about that, as you might can foresee, right? And when the chains come off of him, the full Kong strength is manifest on screen in all its glory, okay? Well, that's us before sin, or before redemption and after redemption. We have these chains, and the chains are loosed, and we are now free 
to live as Christ lived. And now the only question is, how yielded to the Holy Spirit will we become? And how much will we endeavor to do as Paul taught, teaches in uh, imitating what his Lord did, which is practice the spiritual disciplines in order to respond to sin in a way that is a righteous response rather than a pre-regenerated response. So a lot of that is about glory too. I mean, it's a long answer, but... What's the last thing you said? Just the last practice? The spiritual disciplines? I mean, uh, you know, uh, you've heard me say this before, but I just think it's worth repeating. Um, uh, Well, let me just say this before I say that. I think that God is very, very concerned with our life, our, our behavior, who we become in Christ. He, he didn't purchase us. He didn't do what he did on the cross so we can get out of jail free. He did it because he is establishing a kingdom, and he wants a people for his own. And that's what the New Testament is all about, is becoming those people, Right? That, that bride of Christ, the, the hands and feet of Christ, and to be ministers of redemption, or reconciliation rather. First Corinthians tells us we've been reconciled so that we can become ministers of reconciliation. He's chosen, crazy as this may be, to partner with the likes of us in the reaching of other people, to bring them into the kingdom as well. Okay, so having said that, I think he cares about our life. You know, run the race in, in order to win. Well, we have this notion, you know, it's, it's uh, really old now, uh, of the what would Jesus do bracelet, right? What would Jesus do? And that's a really nice sentiment. What would Jesus do? I think it's cool to look down and go, oh, what would Jesus do? Like, you know, Greg slaps me, and instead of me responding, I just look at the bracelet and say, oh yeah, what would Jesus do? Now, the question is not really helpful if we can't actually do what Jesus would have done. And so like the analogy I give is like, you know, um, in, in baseball, you know, uh, I guess one of the better hitters on the Rangers, if they have any that are decent, I don't know, are, is Joey Gallo um, today. You know, back in the day, you, you had famous people like Derek Jeter or whatever. I could have like a what would Derek Jeter do bracelet on. And I, I, I'm going to wear his uniform I'm going to put his shoes on. I'm going to have his exact same batting gloves, his exact same helmet, his exact same bat, and I'm going to stand in Yankee Stadium. And when Greg Maddox is on the mound, and he, when he's on the mound and he throws that cutter, I just look at my bracelet, right? What would Derek do? No problem. What's the problem with that? Why does that sound ridiculous to us? I'm not Derek Jeter. Well, and you haven't been trained. You haven't gone through the fire. Yeah, exactly right. I haven't done what Derek did. Now, if I had done exactly what Derek did, I trained like Derek, now I could possibly do what Derek would do. Correct? Okay. Well, that's the thing about the spiritual life. The spiritual life is not what would Jesus do. It's do I, do I engage in the spiritual disciplines so that I become Jesus? And I'm not saying that in a heretical way in any way. I'm saying that's what we are told to do. We are to be imitators of Christ. And Paul has this crazy idea where Paul tells people, you imitate me. I think that's crazy. 
when you read that, I mean, we might gloss over that, but he, why would he say imitate me? Isn't that pretty arrogant? You just imitate me. He just, Mike, let me tell you, this is easy for you. You just look at me and do what I do. Well, Paul could say that because who was Paul looking at? Christ. See, Paul had seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus at least, and we know that he was also taken to heaven uh, for a period of time, and we don't know what happened there. But Paul actually saw the risen Christ, but they didn't see Christ, but they could see Paul. Right? This is for us fathers in the room. I tell my children, you just look at me. You might not be able to see God and see Christ, but if you look at me, that's who you're looking at. That's the goal of the Christian life. And that's this idea that we're about to get into with the power of the Holy Spirit. But the first fruits, going all the way back to this now, is we are, we are, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and it is the down payment on this idea of ultimately being glorified, becoming Theosis. Do you know your baseball analogy, there was a piece there that I wanted to add. It's a really good one because here's the deal. I could do all that stuff. There's a piece you didn't mention. I don't have Derek Jeter's eyes. Mm -hmm. I don't have his reflexes. Mm -hmm. He has gifts, which is why you have so many guys that never make it out of the lower minors. Yep. Okay. What the Spirit does when you become a Christian is it gives you that thing you could never get on your own. Correct. So that now, if you do the training and you go to the Vatican, Correct. and you do all of the work, Correct. you will be able to hit. Correct. I can do all of those things, and I'll never hit like Derek Jeter. Just come to the men's Monday night softball game and watch. Correct. <laughs> um, no matter how much I work at it, yeah. something's got to give me those that physical capability, to, and then, then I perfect it with the hard work. No question. Spirit gives us no question. that special something, and then we have to work at it. Yeah, well, it's the parable of the talents, right? The master didn't leave him with no talents and say, go figure something out. It better be something here when I get back. He said, I'm going to give you the start. Now I want you to multiply what you're given. And there were servants who, the servant who buried the talent, I think this is a very telling, by the way. I think if we read the parables and take them really seriously, it will change us a lot. I think we gloss the parables a lot. We, we love Paul in the evangelical world, and don't get me wrong, but when you read the parables and you try to align Pauline theology with what Jesus is saying here, it's pretty transformative. And, you know, one of the parables, obviously, is the parable of the talents. Well, we all probably know the parable, but just to recap, he has three servants. The master has three servants. He gives one one talent, one three talents, one five talents. He leaves. The five guy risks it all to turn it into ten. The three risks it all to turn it into six. The one is scared of the master, so he buries it. And when he gets back, he's told, you wicked servant, get out. Depart from me. Now, did the, did the guy go spend it on booze? Did he spend it on uh, partying and whatever? No. He wasn't frivolous. He was trying to be safe with the talent. But he didn't do anything with what he was given. Correct. So we get this down payment. We get the gift. But there's this thing, this mystery of God is working with us. And He's empowering us, but Christ yielded to the Spirit. Could, like, I know this is going to get super philosophical, but could Jesus have said, you know what? Nope, we're not doing it. I'm going home. I'll be back, Dad. 
I'm going back home. This is ridiculous. Let's just start over. Could, it, could Jesus have done that? The second member of the Trinity. Is it the, of course. Of course he could have. This is what's remarkable. It's like the old hymn says, he could have called 10,000 angels. Do y'all, are anybody old enough to know that hymn? He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have been about to go to the cross and go, no, you know what, heavenly host, saddle up, boys. Let's rock and roll. That could have happened, right? But that's not what he does. He yields to the Holy Spirit perfectly. It wasn't an easy decision. He sweat blood. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and Christ says, I'm taking you through the same process. You're going to become like me. So are we yielded to the Holy Spirit, or are we not? And as we yield, it's like a muscle. It's like this, this thing starts to develop in us where we become more and more and more Christ-like. And the parable of Talents. Is that an introduction to works? Nope. I agree. That's a great question. So these are already servants of the master. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not how do you get into my property? How do you come into my family? They're already in the family. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, and, and, and that's a great question, and, and you know, just because this comes up in a lot of theological discussion, we're not, there is nothing, and just so we're absolutely clear as a class, because I think we all are, but just so we're absolutely clear, there is nothing any of us could do to earn our way into heaven. Nothing. There is no amount we could do to become worthy of heaven, or to become worthy of the endless relationship with Christ. So we are not saved by works. But we are saved unto works. Jesus says over and over and over and over, you will be judged by your works. 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 He says it over and over and over. And we go, eh, I'm get out of jail free card. I said the prayer, no muss, no fuss, I'm good. And Jesus is saying, um, mm. I mean, I don't know, this is just, when I read it, like the plain reading of Scripture, he doesn't ever say that. And so what we see is that once we enter the process of sanctification, now what we do really matters. Like we have to be walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. We have to, to um, turn the one talent into two or the three talents into six or whatever, just using that parable as an example. Okay, yes? First yep. uh, John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the whole point is like we're talking, you know, I mean, you're working out your salvation. Mm-hmm. It's not working for your salvation, like you're saying, mm-hmm. but it's all a part of the process. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, we're pretty much out of time, but uh, we'll see. I'm watching for him to get out here. The next connection between... Any last thoughts or questions about this? This is a good discussion, yes? Yes. Yes. I've seen like uh, in different countries Mm -hmm. where believers sacrifice themselves to be nailed on the cross Mm. and do all those kind of, you know, walking over the streets, being... Flagellations. Is that right? No. No, there, there's nothing in that that, you know, um, 
this notion of so um, there's a theological kind of branch that started at some point and I can trace it back for you but guilt became a big part of a certain faith traditions and the, this idea um, that well we were responsible for putting Christ on the cross which technically is true but now we have to feel super guilty about that and you know, we have to beat ourselves because of it, and we have to show God how sorry we are because of of the sin. Um, but that's not that's not in Scripture. That's that's definitely was not a tradition in you know the early church of any kind. And you know what we're told is that um, in First John one nine, um, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know, and in Romans it says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, um, you know, I also think of like the, the Sermon on the Mount where it says, you know, that you should do your good deeds in private, not where men can see you. And I can't judge these people's motivations, but my, my sense is that people who are doing that are trying to signal to the world that look at how look at how holy I am or look at how righteous I am that I would be willing to ha endure this kind of pain for, for God. And, um, you know, God says, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in burnt offerings and sacrifices. I'm interested in obedience. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I just think that idea, of, we can meditate on this all day, is the idea of obedience, obe being obedient to Christ. Um, just uh, allowing the Holy Spirit uh, to, to allowing ourselves to marinate in the power of the Holy Spirit and the 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 declarations of Scripture of you know the standard for our life. I think that um, you know if we look at like our modern America, virtually everybody in America they may say that Jesus is the solution, even Christians, but really what they operate as is, is, is if there's some sort of earthly solution. Because all of their angst is around stuff they don't like that they see men do. And you know, it's like I always say, pagan's gonna peg. I mean, there's just no way you can, can get around that, you know. So, um, yeah, virus is gonna virus. No, I mean, you know, like there's, good to see you guys. There's, there's, not, a, there's not a governmental solution to our problems. There's not, a, there's not a law we can pass that fixes stuff. There's not a law we can repeal that fixes stuff. Like, you know, um, not to sound really controversial, but, you know, this idea of systemic injustice that's being talked about throughout our society. And, uh, you know, we, let's just set aside the truth of that statement or not. The idea of systemic injustice. So it's the system. That's what that says. So if we change the system, it fixes it. So let's just work hard as we can, whether that means lobbying or electing politicians or rioting or whatever, because the system is the problem. The system is not the problem. The heart is the problem. As long as there are humans involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to... Uh, put in a little plug for Austrian economics here, but, you know, I'm just going to throw this in here right now. I mean, if you read, you know, Human Action by Ludwig von Mises, you know, what he demonstrates is what Scripture has told us for, you know, thousands of years. And that is, there is no, there is no group. You know, like, um, you know, he, Pastor Wayne used the Holocaust today. 
Hitler didn't murder those people. Some guy murdered every one of those people. A person murdered another person. That's what happened. There's no corporation. There's a bunch of people. And the people do or they don't do. The individual can act, and only the individual can act. There is no collective that can act. And it's all down to this. It's all about the heart. So we are, in our hearts, going to be yielded to the Holy Spirit in the way that Christ was yielded, or we're not going to be yielded in any given moment. And the goal is for us to be in a to grow to, so that we can yield. Pastor Wayne had this comment a couple weeks ago. He used this term, unintended disciplines. And um, I shot him a quick note because I love that topic and I love this sermon. And I just said, I loved your, 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 what he meant by unintended disciplines is like, you know, we didn't, when bad things start happening to us and we have to kind of grow through that, you know, we all know we grow through adversity and grow through hardship. That's what he meant. And what I said to him is I said, you know, this is the beauty of the spiritual disciplines that are intentional. Because it's the spiritual discipline that enables you to endure the unintended discipline. Like I talk to my discipleship guys all the time about the, the, the power of fasting. And I'm like, we don't fast. But this is like the thing that sustained the church for centuries was fasting. Literally today, to this moment, if you're an Orthodox believer, you fast every week of your life. If you really do what they tell you to do. How, why? What's fasting all about? Well, what is your most basic need other than air? Food. If you haven't eaten for 12 hours, what does your body start saying to you? Feed me. If you haven't eaten for 24 hours, it starts screaming at you, correct? So that is the most base physical urge is food. Well, in fasting, what you learn to tell your body is, Body, you answer to the spirit. The spirit doesn't answer to the flesh. You're a toddler. I will tell you what to do. That's what you say to your body. Now, guess what? When you're surfing Twitter and a porn link comes up and you're used to telling your flesh it's subservient to the spirit on food and it's really good at that answer. You can say the same thing for a sexual urge because the sexual urge is less than the physical urge for food, especially when you've been hungry for a long time, right? It's like, and that's just a simple example. It's like if I can teach my body to answer to the spirit over and over and over again, then when the temptation arises that's of a physical nature, I've already got the muscle memory of saying no. See, that's a spiritual discipline. You know, the discipline of simplicity the discipline of simplicity, which was practiced by the church for centuries, it teaches us delayed gratification. We're not good at delayed gratification anymore. It's, I mean, we can go on and on. So, I don't know. We got way off topic, but uh, we still haven't covered all the ways Pentecost um, was fulfilled in uh, the New Testament. But we'll finish that next week. Um, hopefully this has been edifying to you guys. Uh, appreciate you guys being here. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.